Dublin's Talking Sport. Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for football. Joined on the line by the one and only Alan Cawley. Good morning, Al. How are you? Good, Reggie. How are you? Ah, wonderful, thanks. Wonderful indeed. Um, yeah, enjoyed that during the week, I have to say. 3-2. Looked like we were cruising. Um, didn't know what the game was going to be made of. Then they came back into it. And I thought we saw, showed good results and overall a, a, a positive style of performance. Yeah, well, that's what you're going to get from Stephen, as we all know, in terms of his approach and the attack of play that he wants to uh, show every time that we go out and perform and go out and play, Reggie. I was just a little bit disappointed that we switched off when we were 2-0 up and it was it almost got to the point where it was too easy. And you've been there as a player, Reggie, myself included. When it does get like that, you can become a little bit complacent or um, just a lack of concentration, really, because things become so easy. And then you allow the other team back into the game and it's hard to kind of pick it back up again. But as you said, they did pick it up in the second half, particularly the, the introduction of the substitutes came on and added a new life. Obviously, Mikey Johnson did really well when he came on. Um, so overall, it was good to get the victory, but... I'd still be a little bit concerned that it's becoming a thing now that, we, that we're that we so comfortable in, in games, particularly against the nations that we should be beating or the ones that are down around us. We've seen it now against Armenia, against Luxembourg, obviously Latvia. Um, and it's just a little bit of concern of mine that instead of putting these teams to bed, we're allowing them back into the game and making things difficult for us. Al, good morning to you, Declan here. Morning, Declan. Very well, very well. Alan, just on that point that you're making about the concentration and, and performance levels and all that, how much focus would Stephen Kenny have had on that in the training sessions since? Because as we know, Le Bleu on Monday, you switch off for a second, you're, you're in trouble straight away against a team of that calibre, as the Dutch showed last night. Yeah, the interesting thing about that, Declan, and, and trying to give you, I suppose, the players' insight, is when things do become so easy, you do tend to switch off. But when you go out against better opposition, you're already mentally tuned in before you even go on the pitch. And people will say, well, look, you should be mentally tuned in no matter who you play. And that's the correct thing, and you should be. But players do, you're only human. And when things become so easy, it's like anything in life. When things become so easy and you're not being challenged, you do tend to switch off um, and think you're just going to coast through. And then, obviously, you're allowing teams back into it. I don't think you'll see a replica of that on Monday night because of the opposition that we're playing. And they're already fearful before they even go into the match. And they know they can't switch off. And they know they have to be on, on their guard uh, 100% the whole way throughout. And as you said, we saw the, the French last night against the Dutch dismantle them. So you can only imagine what the players were thinking looking at that game last night. They would have already been fearful going into the game. And then you see them put in that performance as well. So I don't think that'll be the case that we we'll see that on Monday night. Uh, because of the opposition that we're playing but that's just a little bit of a kind of a player's insight into into the way sometimes you think against lesser opposition What do you think uh, Alan of the squad that he's starting to build I mean there's young players coming through obviously the addition of Ferguson uh, Ogbené coming on and getting the winning goal uh, it feels like he's starting to build a very solid competent squad Yeah absolutely Reggie and this was the thing when Stephen took over we all knew it was going to take time uh, we were willing to give him that time as were a lot of others, I suppose. But then you have people in the other camp saying, look, it's about results. And I think we're at the stage now where it is about results. And we want to see us competitive in groups and in with a, a chance of, of maybe qualification to the Euros, the World Cup, whatever the case may be. So I think this is the campaign that Stephen will probably have to prove himself. And it might be the next manager that comes in that will reap the rewards of the likes of Evan Ferguson and some of them that they're building. Hopefully that's not the case. And Stephen is still there and he can see it through with these players. 
but we are seeing some of the talent come through and you only have to go through the team the other night Reggie uh, Darrow O'Shea Nathan Collins Ferguson and I think there was seven or eight I picked out all that have come through from the under 21 so it just goes to show that it is working but we're at the stage now where obviously we do want to see results Pretty impressive performance from the French it has to be said against the Dutch what uh, what do you worry about on Monday what do we need to be wary of Reggie I think we've only probably six or seven minutes I need a half an hour to go through what I'm worried about <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot there give us a few ideas yeah 27 minutes of that it'll be out of Mbappe <laughs> yeah, he's actually the one I'm least worried about because he can switch on and off as you said unless the opposition are up to the kind of standard that they're thinking about you know so um yeah, they're just of the, the quality all over the pitch. and um, Obviously, the game last night, they were two up after 10 minutes and the so-called fallout pre, pre-match between Griezmann and Mbappe or Deschamps never really materialised and he obviously scores. And It's just the players and the talent that they have. And Stephen will be under no illusions. Nobody is. Um, everybody that follows football knows how good France are. And we all know Monday night we're going to have to pull everything out one of those... Um, kind of monumental performances that we've seen down through the years against the, 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 great, the great teams and we're going to have to have one of those nights again Monday night if we were to get anything. It might not be a bad thing as well, Reggie, if France blitz the group and hammer everybody and then it's just maybe a fight between us, the Dutch and Greece or something like that mm. and because we're not going to topple France in terms of the group. They're going to sail through. So it might be no harm if they hammer everybody and leave it up to us to kind of fight it out with the other two. You never, you never know. We might get a, a little draw, you know. Miracles yeah, do happen. That'd be a great result. <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out, Reggie, because for the point that I'm making, that they'll go in so diligent, they'll be so well organised, they'll know they can't switch off, everybody will be on guard. It's one of those performances that it won't even be the technical side of things, it'll be mentally once you're tuned in. And the easiest thing in football to do is defend. If you're compact, we see it so many times with teams that can frustrate others. The hardest thing is to break teams down and try and score goals. So if they're well-organised, well-disciplined, regardless of the opposition that you're playing against, the distances between the, the defenders, the midfielders, all the units kind of working in, in tandem, almost like what you see in a rugby situation, uh, it's very, very hard to break down. And, and they could nick a draw, and hopefully that's the case. I'd love to see it. I'm heading along. I'm really looking forward to the game, Reggie. And I'd love to see it. It would be a great start to the campaign. Just on the squad, Alan, we know how blessed we are in the goalkeeping department. Uh, three quality goalkeepers. Uh, Bazuno, I would imagine, will start against France on on Monday. But I want to talk just a little bit about Quivy and Kelleher and the importance of him of making the right decision, perhaps during the summer, for, for his career. Surely he can't continue to stay at Liverpool. Do, do, can he, do you think? It depends, I suppose, Klopp's thinking in terms of Alisson as well, how long he's going to stay there because he seems primed to take over from him. But if he's going to stick around for another three or four or five years, then if Cleveland has to be looking about get, maybe getting out and playing regularly. And I think that was evident in the game we seen the other night. I think Cleveland is a brilliant goalkeeper and a brilliant temperament for that goalkeeping position. But I think what we've seen from the goals the other night is a goalkeeper that's not playing regularly. Because even the second goal that took a little bit of a deflection I think if he's playing regularly he probably keeps that out Declan um, and it's just the case like all the players outfield goalkeeper wherever you're playing you need to be playing and I think that was evident even with Nathan Collins the other night brilliant player I think he's going to have a fantastic career but he looked so rusty in the game the other night as well just because he's not playing week in week out 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that unfolds. A big decision for him to make, no doubt about it. Just um, to finish up, Alan, I, I see again, the FAI have come out and have condemned uh, horrific, uh, vile, uh, racist abuse that was aimed at the under-15 boys team. Imagine uh, wow. on social media. And even last night, Declan was telling me before and how the Kerry FC um, also said in their game against Atlone there was loads of social media racist abuse. It's just unbelievable that these things are going on the way they are. Um, and target and young players as well. It shouldn't be targeting anybody, but I mean, you know, under 15s, it's it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's graceful to be honest with you, Reggie. As you said, under 15, and I saw that those lads they won during the week against Latvia six 0 and yeah. I think seven or eight of them are playing with Shamrock Rovers. And I suppose the, the new the new Ireland um, has us with lads with all different multinational backgrounds, and it's great to see them coming through. And we're going to benefit from that as well in the years to come because I hear there's absolutely fantastic talent. Uh, at under 15, 16, 17 coming through. But to hear those, those kind of, uh, that the fact that the FEI have to come out and condemn that and something where, again, online remarks being made, it's absolutely scandalous and no place for it. Yeah, it's the usual story though, no accountability, the invisibility of, of the people involved and, you know, I mean, to be fair to all of the sporting organisations and people who love their sport and the real supporters, uh, you know, it's it's not them, you know, it's it's just this anonymous rubbish and again, I just keep saying, the, the social media companies should be getting more responsible in this and holding people to account, it's just wrong that it can be so anonymous. Yeah, I agree totally, Reggie. We see it in England with the lads, and you see it a lot in Premier League players. It's the, and, and social media is so prominent now in people's lives. I don't particularly like social media, I, to be honest with you, even though I use it, but I don't particularly like it. Um, in the introduction of it into society, really, for these reasons, it's easy access to people just to go on and say what they want and abuse people, and it's just no place for it. And as you say, it's, it's the social media companies need to take of this kind of stuff because it seems so lax that people can say this and as you say no accountability whatsoever and you're leaving it up to the FEI or the IRFU or the GEA or whoever has to come out and just make statements like this it's, it's not right now it's time for rugby. Delighted to be joined on the line by Irish Independent and Left Wing podcast host uh, Will Slattery. Good morning Will, how are you? Good, thanks, Reggie. How are you? Great. Good to talk to you. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, you've been busy with the Six Nations, and uh, <laughs> justly so. It's been a, a fantastic tournament. There's no question about it. And last week just finished it off perfectly, didn't it? Really, just um, getting that grand slam in the bag. Yeah, the dream finale for Johnny Sexton, the dream finale for Ireland, and it, it was a fitting end in terms of the scoreline. Ireland were the dominant team throughout. I think their lowest winning margin was 13 points. They were a whisker away from getting five bonus point wins out of five. It was a real statement of intent ahead of the World Cup. I think it was almost so teed up that I think that's why where the nerves kicked in on the day. They didn't maybe finish it with the performance level that we maybe had expected. But ultimately, a grand slam doesn't come around very often. Four, four in, the, in the history of Irish rugby. And this is probably the best one that they've sealed. And with the World Cup later this year, it, it bodes very well. Proud of teams playing. The attack clicked pretty much throughout the five matches defensively Ireland had the best record discipline wise they had the best record they didn't give away a single yellow card or red card and they built depth across the entire team every single position where maybe full back and loose head prop got plenty of exposure and, and built upon so Andy Farrell could not have asked for more Irish fans could not have asked for more and 
yeah, the team looks to be in a great place heading into later this year. Yeah, the stats are, are absolutely off the chart. Uh, as you said, no yellow, no red, fewest number of tries conceded, defensive alignment, huge use of players, um, the blooding of new players, and, and, and um, we know where we stand with certain ones. The likes of uh, O'Toole, for example, you know, Finley Bealham stepping up to the plate when he needed to, um, and various others, obviously, throughout the whole squad, too many to, to name. But uh, overall, um, what an exercise for Andy Farrell in a World Cup year. I remember, um, you know, when England won the World Cup, and I don't, I'm not getting ahead of myself here, trust me, I don't do that uh, whole prediction of we're going to win a World Cup stuff, but I do remember losing to England in, in Lansdowne Road um, in 2003 when they, went, when they were winning Grand Slams and, and them going on uh, to win a World Cup. And it seemed to be the perfect time frame between when they were dominant in the Six Nations and went on to win a World Cup. Oh, for sure. Like, you know, I don't think anyone's jumping up and down saying Ireland are, you know, definitely getting to a final, definitely going to win. But, like, you can't look at a tournament where Ireland win every game by 13 points or more and beat the favourites, France, you know, pretty convincingly and not expect them to be in the shake-up. Like, the team, you'd, you'd expect that from the team to think that they can win a World Cup or else what, what are they what are they, What are are they? they yeah. doing? Where, where's their mentality at? Obviously, with the way the draw is, it's going to be very difficult, but Ireland should be aiming to go and win this World Cup. It shouldn't just be to get past the quarter-final. The team is good enough to do it. It'll be very difficult and, you know, the nervousness that crept into the play last last Saturday night maybe doesn't bode well, potentially, if it does get to that, you know, knockout time where we've never been past the quarterfinal, the, the pressure there will be huge. But I agree, like, the, the, Andy Farrell could not have asked for more in terms of preparation for a World Cup. Our, all of our World Cup experiences, and you've been involved in a few, mm. things have gone wrong. And Andy Farrell and his team reacted really, really well during the Six Nations to things going wrong, things happening unexpectedly all the injuries against Scotland, lads pulling out of games, you know, very close to kick-off. They just rolled with the punches throughout, even on, on Saturday when things weren't going well for them. They were making a lot of errors. They stuck at it and eventually got on top and got, got their reward. So it, it's it's very nicely poised. Like it is, There's a couple of things later in the year that, that will be interesting. Like I feel like Ireland have never really managed the whole World Cup experience very well. It's a long time to be kind of sequestered away you know, I think you, you'll know yourself, there's been issues with, you know, where they're staying before and, and the preparations like that. The one thing that bodes well, though, is that every player involved in this squad keeps harping on about how much they love being involved in the camp. So that gives me confidence that when they do go away, and the week, the World Cup is a week longer this time because of that extra break week, that it won't be like a chore, it won't feel overwhelming. It'll actually be like a real positive experience for them. They're going to really enjoy, you know, being in each other's company. And that could maybe be that missing X factor from potentially previous World Cups, certainly under Joe Schmidt. It, it was very intense so there's a lot of variables still to play but I do think Ireland are in the shake-up and as you mentioned there are some similarities with England in 03 England had a lot of sudden hemisphere scabs they went to New Zealand just before and won as well so there's lots of similarities now. It'll be interesting to see if Ireland can act on it. Mm. I'm interested to know what your view was on the red card because there's been a lot of uh, online debate about it and, and, you know, talk debate about it as well, just about um, whether or not it was or it wasn't. I thought there was enough mitigation for that to be given as a yellow card. Okay. Uh, personally, I, I thought, you know, the bouncing ball, Keenan stooping to pick it up, you know, Stewart... You know, it does make contact with, with his head and the replays when it's slowed down look, you know, really, you know, do look very bad. But, you know, considering what we see mitigation given for, you know, Weenie Antonio earlier in the tournament against Ireland where Wayne Barnes rules that there was a, you know, a fraction of contact against the chest before he 
smashed him in the face. Like, if that's being mitigated for, I think an incident like that, where the ball is bouncing, Keenan is kind of stooping down to pick it up, I thought that probably should have been a yellow card. I think it was the right call to uh, to give the ban. But it, it's just not a good look. There's so much confusion and, and like, you know, Antonio getting a yellow and then getting hit with a ban. Stuart getting a red and then getting his ban rescinded. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be as difficult, I don't think, as it is. Well, I don't think, uh, I, I think it's a, whatever our view on it is, and for me, I felt he turned, you know, I get your, the argument about mitigation. I just felt he turned when he didn't need to. He didn't need to turn and leave with that elbow. So we leave all that aside. There's, this is the, the, the way of the world. There's, it's subjective. So there's people who say it was a red, there's people who say it was a yellow, there's people who say it was nothing. Grant. But the point being, I think it being rescinded was completely the wrong message. The decision was made at the time by independent TMO reviewers with plenty of time to look at it and everything else. You got it back the the, um, the officials. It sends out the wrong message in terms of uh, now now the English fans are saying, well, you know, if we had had a full team and there you go, it doesn't change the result, does it? Because we could have beaten you guys. I just think it's terrible the way they keep making these changes and, and, and not backing the decisions that they ultimately but, put in but place. two wrongs make a right. Like, so do you think Antonio shouldn't have been banned for that tackle then? By that logic, if you're saying that Barnes gave a yellow, therefore he shouldn't have been banned. So I don't think, like, I thought that was a bad tackle that deserved the ban. So if you're saying that you don't think stewards should have been rescinded that you're, you're kind of saying that Antonio yeah. didn't deserve a ban either. Yeah, well, that's that's a fair point, but I suppose being being um, brought down, uh, it doesn't feel like, it, it feels like you're really going against the officials making a mistake. I could, I could understand more in the heat of the moment how an official might make a mistake and err on the side of caution, let's say, and say uh, it's a yellow card, and then at a later stage they can review it, and maybe I should have got it red, but I mean, that, that's the way it is. Whereas the, the other way around, because it has such a lasting effect on the game you know if you'd send somebody off and I suppose maybe that's why they're looking at it in the southern hemisphere the way that they are you send yeah. someone off the game is, is finished you know I suppose that's probably the way my mindset is yeah I do like that southern hemisphere ruling if anyone's mm. been watching Super Rugby like when I saw it initially I didn't really know what to make of it but basically for people who aren't aware now when there's an incident like the Freddie Stewart one there's a yellow card given and in the 10 minute period the TMO has a good look at it and then assesses where whether it's upgraded to red card mm. or whether the player can come back on the pitch. The key thing it does is it, it gets rid of those lengthy stoppages, which I think it, w- it would definitely be welcome. Like because these things, like that moment last weekend, took ages to adjudicate on, and obviously you want the right decisions to be made, but. Mm. At the, at the end of the day you also don't want it to take too much time so I think that could be a good medium so I am intrigued to see how it progresses in Super Rugby So am I but anyway look we're in a great place in the men's game there's no question about it uh, and a World Cup to look forward to later this year um, the women's uh, game uh, has its championship of course starting a, a tough one um, for them in Cardiff to start what do you make of this I see there's a, a, a Brian debutante uh, it's an interesting team that Greg Williams has picked yeah, if I was Greg McWilliams, I'd honestly be considering whether I made the right decision to take this job. Like the fact that he's being shorn of all his seven stars, Baven Parsons, a potential superstar of world women's rugby, you know, Lucy Mulhall, Amy Lee Murphy Crow, Stacey Flood, you know, players who were very instrumental in last year's Six Nations campaign, none of them available because they're in with the seventh team. He's, pick, he has, he's had to go with an extremely inexperienced team, you know, compared to some of his competitors. I think it said it all. I was reading a preview in the Telegraph yesterday who do a lot of coverage of women's rugby and they had Ireland coming sixth out of six in the Six Nations. So it shows the scale of the task mm. facing Greg and, and the team. I just feel for them because and between that and the issue with contracts and, and the low level of remuneration, 
a lot of some players didn't take it up either. So they're they're not they're not playing with their full deck. And at a time where the women's team is struggling, for them not to even have their full team out in the Six Nations, or yeah, it's going to make it very tough. But this is this is the key game. Like it's kind of cliched, but if they if they win today and get off with a bit of momentum, the feel good factor get you know goes. Like they have, I think France away next. Like that's going to be. Uh, or sorry, France at home next. Like, that's going to be a very tricky fixture. France and England are by far the two best teams in the tournament. I think Ireland will be targeting the three wins against Scotland, Italy, and Wales, and that would probably be that would be a very good return for them if they can get those three victories. But with the squad available to Greg, I, I would think they'd be doing well to get those three victories. Today is the big one. I think if they if they get a win today, they they, they could go on to have you know a reasonable tournament. But if not, it could be a very long couple of months. Mm. And for our listeners who aren't aware, like what what is the logic behind those players not being available? Why is the sevens game clashing in that way? Well, so the, the, there's an Olympics next year in Paris. They're kind of in the heat of the qualification battle right now, and they're on course to qualify. There's, they, they, they just unlock you know Sport Island funding for the game by getting to an Olympics. Like even though on the face of people will be thinking, well, should we not be prioritising Six Nations? That's where like the lifeblood of rugby is in Ireland. That's what gets casual fans involved. And that would be my opinion. Mm. I think it's kind of short-term thinking to chase the sevens, you know, maybe cash reserve or however much money is available. I think that pales in comparison to the overall growth of the game that is available. A good Six Nations campaign, like it's a 10-year anniversary of the Grand Slam winning team of 2013. They're still kind of the gold, the golden generation. They, like, look how much influence they still have. Like a huge Six Nations campaign, you just can't underestimate that. So while there might be some benefits to getting involved in sevens and getting some money that through that pathway, it's it's a it's a fleeting. You know, a sevens win is a good story for an hour, whereas a Six Nations win lasts a lifetime. Like yeah. in, so I, that would be my thinking on it. I don't think it's the right way to go about it I, I just I don't think anyone cares really deeply about Sevens Rugby in Ireland whereas the Six Nations like people might be tuning in who watched it for the first time last year and come back again this year and say wait where's Raven Parsons I see her on billboards I see her on ads why isn't she playing for Ireland hmm. and then to explain well she's actually playing in this like non-televised seven sport that no one really minds they're two different games they're, they're entirely two different games it's not the same game you know like one is yeah. one is sevens and one is rugby union <laughs> the the rugby union has its scrums its lineouts its proper competition at various levels around the pitch and skills and everything else with it and sevens is its own game in its own right it's got it's all its wonderful skill and flair and speed and all of the wonderful things that go with that but they're two different matches they're two or two different sports sorry should I yeah, say yeah and, and like this is the shop window like this so they've decoupled the women's Six Nations from the men's Six Nations which was a great idea to give it its own period of time in the calendar I know mm. it's clashing against Champions Cup and what have you but it's still it's still gets its own period of time in the calendar and yet Ireland are going into battle without some of the most visible visible people like, I don't I'll keep harping on about Baby Parsons but that's because she was a kind of a she could be someone that could really sell the game in Ireland she could be like our very own superstar player to get people involved and she's not playing like it's just it's just a massive shame that in in this big promotional window that some of the key players aren't available but will they, they just seem to keep getting it wrong with the women's game like because you know here is you and I debating this again lack of players availability uh, because as I said to you it's a different sport um yes women are playing it and you know yes it has the name rugby in the title but you know they have these committees now they have these uh think tanks. It's not like you know, it isn't in the media all the time. It's not like it doesn't get headlines when they get it wrong. Why do they keep getting it wrong? 
Yeah, like there must be some something I'm missing here about this sevens thing. Like I know I mentioned there, like potentially unlocking funding and stuff, but there, there must be a piece of it that I am aware of or I just don't understand. Because as you say, on the face of it, to me, the Six Nations should be where the, the focus and the priority is going. So uh, I don't know the answer to the question, Reggie, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I must be just missing something about yeah, the whole I. situation. I just don't know how they keep getting it wrong. It, it's just like ma- it's just maddening to me. Like it's in. As I said, it was kind of. I know the team didn't play great in the Six Nations last year, and they were missing their seven players for two games. They had to go to battle in England against England, obviously, which is very difficult. But they were on show for a portion of it to get some eyeballs, and now they're just being all you know spirited away for yeah. sevens. And yeah, it, yeah. it, it doesn't make any good. sense. I mean, you can't. That argument doesn't stand up. <clears throat> Excuse me. That argument doesn't stand up. They didn't play last, well last year. Italy haven't played well in Six Nations in the men games for many years. We didn't drop them, and they're improving as a result of it. So, you know, that doesn't stand up. Okay, and a more positive note, um, I can't uh, overlook the wonderful success of the under-20s as well, of course, last weekend, getting a a second Grand Slam, which was kind of lost a little bit in the whole commotion of uh, the senior team getting it. But uh, another wonderful performance on back-to-back Grand Slams. Yeah, and doing it in style as well. Like It's funny, obviously, back-to-back Grand Slams, but this is the team, I think, that will produce a number of guys who will be key contributors to, to provincial teams over the next couple of years and potentially even international teams. I think last year's team, while obviously winning a Grand Slam is great, maybe won it a little bit against the head. This team is chock-full of quality players. Two Munster guys in the back row to watch. Brian Gleeson at number eight. Yeah, Rune Quinn at number seven, who's already actually featured. I think he's the youngest player to play in the professional era for Munster. Played earlier this year against Sebre straight out of school. Sam Prendergast about half a lot of people would have would probably have seen too. He's another one to watch. There's so much talent in that team and apparently half the team are underage again next year so we could be going for, for three Grand Slams in a row potentially. But my, my, my question in the short term is where do these guys get the opportunities? Like I've mentioned two months to back rows. Like, look at the back row they have there at the moment. There's not going to be any easy game time for them in the near future. Likewise, Atlanta, Sam Prendergast, an out half who looks like he has all the skills in his arsenal. Harry Byrne, Kieran Frawley, Ross Byrne. I know Johnny Sexton's retiring, but that's still three tens there. There's, there's, there's a, a bit of a log jam, unfortunately, at a couple of positions where the, the talent is coming through. But overall, it's still, that's a good headache to have, that we're producing the players. Like, look at what happened to Scotland. Ireland put 82 points on them the week before. They absolutely trounced Wales away from home as well. Even England had a very weak Six Nations. Um, Ireland seemed to be the gold standard in in 20s over the last number of years. They won it in 2019, a Grand Slam. They were three from three in 2020. Until COVID hit, they were on course to win another Grand Slam there. They could be going for four Grand Slams in, in five years, potentially. Mm. So it's been a real golden generation underage rugby. And the, the, the work that goes on across the board, you know, the, like Richie Murphy and his coaching staff deserve some credit. But before the, the guys even get to that setup, their, their, their skill level is off the charts from the coaching they get in schools to the lads who come through the club system are getting great coaching as well. The development officers, the, prov- the provinces have who go around to clubs around the country. It really is a joined-up approach that, like, I know a lot of people get credit at the professional stage, like people say the Leinster Academy and stuff like that, but the work that's done before they even get to that level sets all these guys up for great success. And you can just tell, like, the skill level across the board from that team. The, the, like they, they were putting on beat, like absolute beatings on teams. Mm. France, where the game was very close, but they still won with a high score. 
great to watch and it bodes so well for the future. Absolutely. Okay, just finally, um, a quick mention of last night, Leinster got the job done um, uh, in, in a game that, you know, could have easily gone astray for them because Leinster were playing a lot of their much younger players and, and inexperienced players against a very experienced South African side who came to town to do the business and played some great rugby and Leinster got a 22-all draw out of it in the end, which will be very important to them because I think it means now they've topped the table so they can travel to South Africa with maybe some of the younger guns. Yeah, it means they can go to South Africa with their second string, the, the young guys probably who played last night. And it also means that if they keep winning, they're going to be at home for every Champions Cup game and every URC knockout game. So they have, they'll have seven knockout games potentially at home to win two trophies, which is an unbelievable position to be in. Yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic game. Now, the URC gets a lot of criticism, mm. but last night was about as good a URC fixture as you would come across. As you mentioned, the Stormers came locked and loaded, which was a bit surprising because they have to go back to South Africa to play Harlequins in the Champions Cup last weekend. But John Dobson, their coach, said, no, all of our Springboks. I asked them, do you want to stay at home and rest and relax ahead of next week or do you want to come to Dublin? They all to a man said they wanted the challenge of Leinster. Yeah. And to be fair to the Leinster team that played, you know, missing 20 guys to yeah. fight back from 17-0 down and get that Phenomenal. Draw. Like The win, to be fair, was absolutely howling. If you saw mm. the kicks at goal, were, were very difficult. Harry Byrne at the post with a kick to win it laid on. But the, the fight and the spirit Leinster showed, like Scott Penny, Ross Maloney, guys like that were fantastic. You know, they, none of them will probably feature, and a lot of those key games to come are, are very few of them will. Mm. But still, the, the depth in the squad, and it, it's worth noting, like the reason that Lens are able to fight in two fronts is because of the standard that is set when the internationals are away. To be twenty internationals down, playing the second best team in the league, who are locked and loaded, and to come back from seventeen nil down to get a draw is a phenomenal. No, there's no team, club team in the world probably who will be able to operate under those circumstances. So. It was yeah. an absolutely fantastic night for Leinster and, and as you said, the top of the table, but also just for the league and for rugby fans generally. Oh, it's time for GAA now. That I'd like to welcome into studio the one and only Declan Drake. Morning, Declan. Morning, Reg. Warm-up complete, ready to take the place in the front line. <laughs> we'll start with football this week and Dublin are on the brink of an automatic return to Division 1 of the Allianz National Football League for next year. The Blues face loud tomorrow afternoon at Croke Park from 2 o'clock where a sixth win in seven starts will secure not only promotion from Division 2 but also a place in the league final against Derry who are, of course, already promoted. Last Saturday, the Dubs made the shortest away trip of their season to date to Navan to Park Tolchin to face Mead for the first time there in 35 years would you believe might even have been at that myself Desi Farrell's Chargers enjoyed a straightforward win 219 to 111 Cormac Costello of Whitehall Column Kill contributing 1-4 while Killian O'Gara continues to impress in his development as a Dublin player really putting his hand up for inclusion in the uh, six starting forwards for the championship he finished with 1-3 for his day's work and a man of the match performance well after the game I spoke with the Dublin boss Desi Farrell Desi Farrell, Dublin Senior Football Manager, joins us here at Park Talton after watching his team record a fifth win in six in this year's Allianz National Football League Division 2 campaign. Des, your overall assessment of the 70 minutes you saw from your seat side this afternoon? Yeah, um, happy with the performance. Um, I think we brought more consistency to our play today than we had done in previous games and that's something we've been working on. Um, but, you know, we're under no illusions. There's still... a uh, there's still loads of us, to, loads for us to improve upon, and uh, and that'll be the focus now over the next couple of weeks before we head into championship. Had the advantage of the win in the first half, and certainly made it pay. Yeah, um, it was going to be one of those types of days. You know, the wind was going to uh, play a, a big factor, um, given the strength of it, and it was gusting. So kickouts in particular were going to be important. Um, 
you know, we we managed our way through that uh, fine. I wouldn't say we'd be overly enamoured with how we responded to their kick-out strategy. Um, they still got a lot offshore, which was, wasn't ideal from our perspective. With with a big breeze at our back, um, it gives you an opportunity to press and squeeze, and uh, they, they managed that part of the game quite well so that's definitely something for us to look at you know as I said it's five wins out of six now what was the most pleasing aspect about the performance today from your perspective I I, I probably touched on it earlier I think just the consistency across the two halves across the four quarters um We'd been lacking in in that in some of our previous performances. Uh, the last day against Derry was an example of that. Very good in the first half, very poor in the second half. So, trying to remove that Jekyll and Hyde element um, from our game uh, was well, we spent some time on that during the week, and um, it, it was good to see it come to fruition today. But again, it's uh, you know everything in small um, steps. It's uh, there's a there's a lot for us to work on and a lot for us to do and get right that's finally for me I mean you had a good first half against Derry a couple of weeks ago and you ended up not coming home with, with, with the points so that's a point that you would have hammered home to the lads over, over the last couple of weeks was the consistency and, and they delivered it for you yeah you know obviously it was these are great games to get you know you're you're testing yourself against very good opposition and uh, particularly coming away to Navin or to Celtic Park, you know, there's um, the atmosphere is great. There's a bit of tension in it, you know. There, you can sense there's something at stake, and uh, and that's when you see that's a true reflection of what where you're at and what's going on, rather than internal training games or practice sessions and that type of thing, you know. So, so you know, we did well today. Um, you know, me probably just aren't where they'd like to be themselves, and uh, I'm sure that there's plenty to work on, and will be a different type of opposition comes summer um, come summertime, I'm sure. But but there, the last day was a very good gauge for us, and uh, and we came out the wrong side of that, you know. So it's um, uh, it was evident where we were at and what we needed to do and um, we've worked on some of that in the meantime and uh, you know there's loads to do as I, as I keep saying and um, one, one swallow never made a summer type of thing so we're, um, so, so we're still looking for those areas to get after Yes indeed, best of luck to Desi and the boys tomorrow afternoon, there should be a great atmosphere because I'd say everybody in County Lowes will be in Crow Park tomorrow with the season that they've had so far under Mickey Hart, reminder again, throw in time is at 2 o'clock Staying with football now, the 2023 Leinster Under-20 Championship got underway during the week. Dublin were on the road to Balton Glass on Tuesday to face Wicklow in their opening game. Remember, it's a round-robin series this year. A successful visit it was too, thanks to a 114-3-6 victory. A margin of two points there separating the team. Sillsman Dan O'Leary raising Dublin's sole green flag. The side are back in action on Tuesday evening at Parnell Park. Loud are the visitors for a game which throws in at 7.30. So all support of the next generation will be greatly appreciated there. To ladies football now and the curtain comes down tomorrow afternoon at county headquarters in Dublin's Division 1 Lidl National Football League season. Big Bones Chargers playing a third and final home game take on Waterford from 2 o'clock. Interesting this, the men's footballers are playing in Croke Park just a couple of miles down the road at 2 o'clock, the same time as the ladies are playing tomorrow in Parnell Park. Tried to get an explanation for that during the week, didn't actually get a response to the query. There you go. Anyway, it's been an interesting league season for Mick Bowen and the girls. 
And they beat Meath, Cork, Mayo and Donegal, while on the debit side they suffered defeats to Galway and Kerry. But developing squad, developing team, lots of new players in there getting valuable game time. And their, their next competitive outing is the Leinster Championship clash with Meath on April the 30th. That, of course, a repeat of last year's final, which the Blues won in Croke Park. Turning our attention now to Hurling and the Capital Stickmen completed their Division 1B National League campaign with a second home win. 129 to 20 points, the Blues overcoming Leash at Parnell Park. That win ended a run of back-to-back reversals against the big two in the division, Tipperary and Kilkenny. Alex Considine from the county champions Kilmacud Croaks with the goal before the break before leaving the pitch injured. So Dublin's record in the league is two wins and a draw from five outings overall. Next up for them the commencement of the provincial championship away to Antrim that in Corrigan Park on April the 22nd. No tougher an opener really could they ask for. Well once the dust settled on the leash victory at Parnell last Sunday I caught up with Dublin boss Michal Donoghue. Michal Donoghue, uh, Dublin manager, joins us here at Parnell Park. <laughs> Ultimately, a 12-point victory in the end, Michal, and a good way to finish off your National League campaign with a second victory. Yeah, there was uh, some really good parts, particularly early on. Uh, we built up a good few leads. Would have been disappointed maybe with some of the frees that we conceded, and by doing that, we just kept leash in the game. Um, start of the second half was poor enough, but... Uh, you know, we got a score or two. The boys settled again and pushed on and got a decent win, yeah. One of the worrying aspects was Alex Considine. He had a fine start again, got a great goal, but then limped off injured. I know it's relatively early now after afterwards, but what can you tell us about him at the moment? Not a whole lot. Uh, he's just been assessed there by the medics, so uh, we haven't got a full assessment on it. Um, so over the next few days, it's become a, a clearer picture for us. Going back to the game, very positive first half, but then quite a lengthy period without a score in the second half. And they got back to within four points of you. But in fairness to the lads, then they were able to lift themselves and did well to finish winning by as much as they did. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, there's, in terms of the league, like we've used over 35 players, we'd get, you know, a lot of exposure into lads from our perspective. Being our first year, we had to give as many lads uh, exposure to the league as we could. Um, we had some good performances. Collectively, we were really disappointed last week with our own performance, and this week we were looking for a reaction on it. And um, yeah, we had some good stuff in it. But uh, overall, for us, worthwhile the league. Yes, you want to progress if we could, but uh, we got we as a management team we got good exposure to the nearly the full squad, and now it's about getting lads back on the pitch, lads that have injuries, trying to get them back now over the next few weeks and be as strong as we can going into championship and overall are you, are you happy with the level of positivity in the response from last week yeah I am yeah and look I'd have said that you know even last week like the attitude application of the players has been really good you know I think the key word for us is consistency consistency to be consistent in everything that we do and to get a more consistent performance every day we go and finally for me time waits for no man there's the National League having passed us by now and you're getting ready for the cut and thrust of championship and look no more difficult place can you go than Corrigan Park to face Antrim on the 22nd of April yeah it's going to be a tough challenge we know that but you know we've a few weeks to uh, to get to that point and, and the next few weeks are going to be crucial for us in our preparation that you know we know we, we need to go up a few gears the lads are well aware of that so uh, we're looking forward to the next few weeks 
Yes, we certainly are. And a common thread running between Michal Dunahu and Desi Farrell this morning, consistency of performance. That's what every manager really strives for, isn't it, over a period of time. They've got a few weeks to work on a lot of things before that uh, championship starts. And it, it's a congested championship, of course. It starts on the 22nd of April and they play three or four consecutive games running into early May as well in Michal's first championship season in charge. Well, last week on the programme, we paid tribute to the great Eamon Dillon, who announced his retirement from inter-county hurling. During the week, I had the opportunity exclusively to sit down with the man known as Trollier. This is the first piece of the interview. It's quite a long one, so it's less congested on the section next week. We'll play significantly more of it, including talking about his love of his beloved knave, Fionn Barra. But this is how the early part of the chat went during the week. I'm back a little while now. Uh, I suppose it's just wearing tear over the years, miles on the clock. Um, it's not one of them things that happens all of a sudden. Like it's just constantly nipping away, nipping away at the cartilage. But yeah, it was just a decision that I had to make this year. Like it's intercounty demands are getting tougher and tougher and tougher. Like and it's hard to keep up. And if you're not at 100 percent or you're not at the pitch for all the time, it's hard to keep. It's hard to keep up with the flow of the game, especially if you're going to be missing sessions or you're going to be in and out. Like if if you're going to be there training and giving your time, you want to be competing for a position 100 percent of the time. You want to be competing all the time for a position. So uh, yeah, I suppose the decision mostly came down to just um, like if I wasn't if I wasn't able to compete for a position, I wasn't gonna. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be not put me time in, but I could put me time in elsewhere. Like of a young family at home, and I've been giving up a lot over the years, and I suppose. What nobody sees of the game is that when you're away from when you're training with Dublin or playing with Dublin for the season, like sport comes first, like and, and everything else comes second. And no matter how you try butter up, that's the way it is. Fam- like family, work, social life, friends, everything comes second. And I suppose it was just time to start giving back to the house. Um, I have a new baby there, four weeks old, so. I suppose that was part part of the decision as well. Like George is sitting at home every every year, and she's asking when, when we're going away, and I'm saying, "Oh, I have a match this date or that date," and she's throwing her eyes up to heaven. But yeah, that that was part of the decision as well. I suppose you have to weigh up as you as you get older, you have to weigh up everything. Um, I'm not 25 again, and I'm not getting any younger. I suppose that, that, that when you're younger, it holds everything. But as your life goes on, you realise that. There's more to, more to sport, and I suppose you have to look after yourself as well. Like the injury is not going to go away, and if you keep playing, it's just going to gradually get worse. Like it has done over the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, it's just a decision that I made, um, and I'm, I'm happy enough for it. Like it's not something that I look back and well, not look back, but it's not something that I'm saying to myself, "Geez, I wish I was still playing." I'm actually happy now. I'm happy that I have a bit of spare time. We can focus on family you can focus on my job um, and there's not really too many distractions there but I'm saying that now I would, I would still like go out and play but listen I'm, I'm not um, I'm not down in dumps about it it is what it is at the end of the day It was an exciting new era as well with the new manager and Michal who coming in and with the reputation that he had winning that All-Ireland with Galway you would have relished the opportunity to have worked with someone of his calibre Ah, absolutely. Um, I suppose I sat down with Michal there um, late last year. We had a chat, um, and I just he, he laid. His, he told me what his plans are. Told me his background stuff, and I was uh, I was I was very I was very happy with with how he came across. And I was I was actually looking forward to playing with him this year. Um, and even even to the first team meet we had, and and the, the whole background team introduced themselves and all like it. There's no, you can sense that there's no stone left unturned. Untorn, like he, um, everything, everything was laid on for us to be the best 
and I suppose it's it, I would like to get I would like to play under him. Obviously, what he done with Galway is fantastic, and he had been knocking on the door for many years, and to finally get over the line and him being the man to get them over the line, like and, and as a man, he's he, he's 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 very down to earth, and and you can tell that like if you have a problem or you had anything, he, he would he would do anything to to fix that. And I suppose, as he says, he, he's there to facilitate us, um, and I truly believe that's 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 what he was there for. Like that's what he's there for, and, and I believe that's what he would do. Yeah. Declan, a very open and honest interview there with Eamon Dillon, I have to say, although uh, it did sound like you are in Dublin Zoo. Ah, there's always one, isn't there? <laughs> there's always one. Never say, well done, fantastic interview. Yeah. Thanks for doing that, Dec. No, he comes out with a funny line. That's yeah. right, though. It does add to the atmosphere of it. And there'll be plenty more of that in the show next week when we have a, an extended piece of my interview with the great Eamon Dillon. Thanks indeed to Trollier for his valuable time there during the week. Our minor hurlers are in Leinster Championship action this afternoon. Parnell Park certainly getting a lot of activity at the moment. Awfully are the visitors there uh, today for a game which gets underway at 2 o'clock. And the great thing about this is that there are 13 different clubs represented in the starting 15. And wonderful to see the likes of Round Towers, Lusk and Garda, Westmanstown Gales, as well as commercials in Rathcool, earning representation on Collie uh, Marker's team there. So again, if you're free this afternoon, Parnell Park, 2 o'clock, the Young Blues would appreciate appreciate your support there. Finally this week on GA with Declan Drake to Camogie. Congratulations from Dublin's Talking Sport to St Vincent's Geo Anya Woods in the full back line and county skipper Ashling Marr at centre half forward on being selected on the AIB Camogie Club Team of the Year. Well done ladies, fantastic achievement there. And uh, the Intercounty Championship draw was made during the week for 2023, sponsored, of course, by Glen Dimplex. Dublin have been drawn in Group 2 with Kilkenny, Tipperary, Wexford in it as well. So a tough group there. The intermediate team, they're in Group 1. They have Cork, Kilkenny, Kildare and Galway for company. And uh, lastly, the senior team are in action tomorrow against Clare in their National League. They've lost all their games, unfortunately, so far. And need Reg to win by eight points or more tomorrow to secure Division 1 status for 2024. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend.